It's a conversation between two friends with completely opposing worldviews. Called Conversations with a Happy Heathen. It was given the title by the person with the other worldview besides mine. And it's, it's, it's more than just a conversation between two people with opposing views. It really will give us an understanding how as we learn how to communicate our faith in a way that honors God and shows love to our neighbors. Along with starting this new series, Conversations with a Happy Heathen, we're also going to start something called 100 in 100. So 100 in 100. We want to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ to 100 people in 100 days starting next Sunday. And what we want to do is see 100 transformed lives. So all of you will have to be thinking about who, who can I talk to, who can I reach out to, who can I invite, maybe to a Sunday morning time or also maybe to a small group, one of my life groups, the women's groups, the men's groups, whatever it is, who can I reach out to so that we can reach out to 100 people with the love of Christ in 100 days, minister to them, invest in their lives, share with them the truth that we have, the love that we have because of what Christ has done in our lives. So we're going to have an opportunity to kick off that series as well as kick off our 100 in 100. Now this morning, what I'd like to do is lay a foundation for those conversations that we're going to start next week. And I, and I, I mean this, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be unique in the way we present this. So those you invite, I truly believe, will enjoy the presentation as well as the substance of what we're going to be talking about. If you have friends who have questions, if you have uh, questions yourself, this is going to be a really phenomenal opportunity to, to learn and grow and allow other people to learn and grow as they are drawn into a relationship with Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we're told, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is a sobering challenge for Christians. A sobering challenge for those of us, of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Do you have a desire to see others come to know Christ in a personal way, come to understand and know the love of Christ? Is that your desire? Can you defend your position or defend your, your faith using the word of God? Do you understand the Bible and how, how the Bible is used to, to defend your worldview? Where your worldview comes from? What is your worldview? Do you understand those things? And, and, and uh, we, what we need to do is we need to truly step back. And, and when we have the opportunity to share Christ, we need to share Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, when we have that chance, are we communicating in a way that is effective? Are we communicating in a way that is loving and respectful? When we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with other people, are we coming across in a way that draws them closer to Christ or maybe repels them from Christ? Those are the kinds of things that we need to ask ourselves. Those are the kinds of things we will be asking each other throughout this series and we'll be learning how to open up our hearts and open up our mouths 
and using our words and our hearts, share God's love with those who are in need. Now, frequently, you'll, you'll be asked by people, you know, how, why do you believe what you believe? And how do you know this? And how do you know that? And please explain this to me. And, and what many people will say is, well, um, uh, let me go talk to my pastor. Or if you're a student, let me go talk to my parents. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me talk to them about this. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to other knowledgeable people about the questions that other people may have, that you may have. And there's certainly nothing wrong with, with going to, to someone and saying, you know, let me try to find the answer for you. What I'm really talking about are simple biblical questions, simple things that people ask, and we really don't have the answer. Answers we should have if we are as mature or as far along as many of us are. Things we should know. Answers we should be able to give. Think about this. Say you went to a mechanic with years of experience and you said to that mechanic, you know, can you explain why there's this, you know, how the engine works in this way? A simple question about your engine. The mechanic said, well, wait, just hold on one second. I'm not really sure. Let me go ask my boss. Would you leave your car there? If you ask a simple question about, you know, how do you, uh, how, how exactly do you change the oil in this car? And he scratched his head and said, well, you know, I'm not really too sure. Let me go ask my boss or find this guy over here. I don't think you'd want to trust your car to that mechanic. I think you would think, my goodness, you've been here for 15 years. You would think you know how to change the car in a 19-whatever or a 2000-whatever uh, Toyota. But it's interesting we, make, we, we, we fail to apply the same principle to people who've been Christians for many, many years and are asked questions about the Bible and are not able to answer some of the qu- simplest questions about the Bible. We, we, don't, we don't apply the same principles to them. We'll look at a mechanic and say, you should know the answer, but then we don't apply that to someone who should have the answer to a simple question about their faith. People will respond and say, well, I'm not the preacher. Oh, I don't need, you know, I'll go find someone who does know. Instead of honestly, and this is what I'm getting to, instead of trying, trying, having the desire to grow in our faith. When someone asks you a question, what usually happens, and I find, is if if a person challenges a Christian and asks a good, legitimate question, and the Christian doesn't know the answer, they become fearful. And they, they avoid the situation again. They don't want to be asked. So they avoid the situation. Instead of taking as a challenge and going, boy, that was a really good question. I, I, need to, I need to seek out the answer and get back to that person and follow up so I make sure that, I, that not, only, not only does that person get a good answer, but now I understand the question. I understand it myself. Because if you can't answer it, then you don't really own it either. You don't really understand it either. And that means you're not going to be able to grow in your faith in Christ. And when you go through difficult times, you're not going to have those answers. You're not going to have that strength. So it's good for us to know the answers to questions for our own spiritual growth and also for that person's spiritual growth. Now, we, again, I'm saying we don't have to have all the answers, my friends. What I would like to see over the next six to eight weeks is not you looking back on your life and regretting and saying, oh, I should be further along. I should know more. I should. That's the past. What I want to talk about is the present and the future. What I'm looking for is a desire in my heart and in your heart to learn more, to grow more, to be able to express our faith more. So that we're in, when we're in our small groups and someone asks, you invite someone and they ask a question, you are literally scratching your head thinking, wow, I never even thought of that. 
that it sparks in you a desire to know the answer to the question. God wants us to know those answers because God wants us to be able to to share, to respond to those who will ask questions about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I remember I took a, a history course uh, uh, when I was, uh, when I was in college, I first started going to college. I was a baby Christian. I was a Christian for about six months. And I went to Nyack college, which is a Bible college. And, uh, during the summer of that year, I needed a, a history course. So I took that history course in a secular university. I went into the class and I found out something very quickly that the, the, the professor in that class hated two groups of people. He hated women and he hated Christians. I think he hated Christians more. And so what he would do is throughout his lectures, he would ridicule women in some way, which was really fun for the, for the women in the class. But he would also criticize his history was that Christians were responsible for every ill that ever happened in human society. Now, I'm only a Christian for six months, so I had a passion for Jesus Christ. And I was in a Bible college, but I was only there for six months, and I, I didn't know all the answers. And so this gentleman would come into the, to the class, and he would use an offering plate as an ashtray. So he'd just flick his ashes in the offering plate. Back then, you could actually smoke in the classroom, I guess, whatever. You know, it's funny, you go back now, and you think, well, he was smoking in the class. It was okay back then to give us uh, all that smoke. Um, but he would use an offering plate as an ashtray. And he would criticize, historically, he would criticize Christians completely. And I, in my, in my uh, desire to, uh, to defend the faith, I would try to ask some questions. And I would try to say, well, that's not what, what, I, what I've heard. That's not what I understand. Never heard that before. Boy, he would just go after me because he realized very quickly that I was a Christian and I was his target. So he would just try to persecute me in that classroom. I realized that I was a younger Christian. It's fun. You wish now when, where you are right now, you could go back in time and go into the classroom and really have a good time with him. Because, you know, now it would be like, you know, it would be a lot different. Back then, though, I didn't know very much. So I, I would just sit in the classroom and ask him questions. And I would say, is, and is that, that's a fact, right? And that's a fact, correct? And that's a fact. And that's a fact, correct? And I drove him nuts. And so finally he stopped the class and said, listen, listen to me. And he took his chalk. I remember him. I just picture it in my mind. Your truth is your truth because you believe it. And my truth is my truth because I believe it. And he told me all about truth and all this kind of stuff and spent like 20 minutes, you know, just explaining truth to me. And I said, well, I'm not presenting my truth as fact. You are. I'm just asking if it's a fact because you're going to be testing me on this. I want to know it's a fact. And he gave another answer. And and again, I didn't know that much. So I kind of left it at that. But what I did was in my, in my, I was about 19 or 20 years old, and I loved the Lord. And so since I didn't have a lot of answers, I, I sat in the front row with this big button that said, Jesus loves you on it. You know what I mean? It was like a cross right there. It was like, Jesus loves you on the button. So as he's smoking his cigarettes and flicking it in the offering plate as an ashtray, I'd just sit there in the front row, big smile on my face with my Jesus loves you button, and that's all I could do. You know, you do the best that you can. And Peter is talking here about a similar situation. He's saying you're in a situation where you're being persecuted. You're in a situation where someone is attacking you, where, where they're accusing you. How then are you going to respond in that situation? And if we use that, and I, I use the word persecution in America lightly, but, you know, when you're being attacked and belittled in a classroom or, and I'll tell you right now, those of you going off to college, you're going to get it, okay? Just know that. Know that going in. You're going to get it. You're going to go into your classroom 
You're going to raise your hand a couple of times. They've had students like you for 20 or 30 years. They, they're, they're in their classroom. They're not going anywhere. And they love to ridicule and to belittle. What they want to do is they don't want to have the discussion. So what they'll do is intellectually intimidate you up front as a freshman coming in. Because you know, you kind of know what you believe and, and you've heard it. But then all of a sudden this person's criticizing or attacking your faith. And so you stand up for yourself and they'll just mow you over. Because they have, they've done it all before. They've been through this before. And what they're really trying to do is intellectually intimidate you, belittle you, and not really try to in, in, engage you in a good conversation. Because they don't want you asking the question in the first place. So instead of engaging you in a proper conversation and helping you learn and working through what you believe and, and why they believe that's not true, they, they will do the opposite and they'll belittle you. So for the rest of your college career, you won't raise your hand anymore. If that happens, what you need to do is the opposite. You need to go back and you need to study and you need to understand why you believe what you believe so you can go into a classroom and defend yourself. And even point out the fact that this isn't really a, a good intellectual conversation. You're basically belittling me, and I'd rather get into a, a good conversation with you. But that's what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about being persecuted for what you believe when you're trying to share. He's talking about how are you going to handle yourself when you're in this situation, and how are you going to present your love for Jesus Christ? Now, here's the reality. We, we all have Bibles. Now, you may have a different version, whatever, but we all have Bibles, Going to Bible school or seminary does not give you some special revelation from God, okay, that only, only those who've been there will have. All the rest of you, you other folks out there. See, when I went to Nyack, we had a special room. It's off to the back, down the basement, it's an older college. And there's certain books in there that only we could read. They, they, went, they were like, and you guys are looking like I'm telling the truth now. Come on, I'm, play with me here for a little while. You know, they, they, they were only there for just the people who went to Bible college. And seminaries had the same thing. They don't say, it's underground. You go in this room and there's books with special revelation that only seminary people get to read. And the rest of you have to listen to us because we know so much more. This is not true. We all have access to God's word. We all have access to truth. What Bible college does, what seminary does, is it gives you the tools to be able to study the word of God in more depth. But you know what we have now? We have the internet. You can go online. You can, man, you could study and study and study and study from different perspectives. I mean, you can go through, there's books online, there's commentary, there's everything. You ask questions, you can look at it from different, again, different perspectives from Ravi Zacharias to Norm Geisler, it's all there. You can study. We, it is the greatest opportunity that we've ever had in the history of the world to learn so much more. And it is a lot of fun. It really is. When you're asking a question, what happens with Christians? So we ask questions. We read something in the Bible. It doesn't make any sense. And we, we kind of like, oh, I'll just, pretend, I'll just pretend that that's not there. I mean, that Old Testament stuff, that's too, I don't, I don't understand it. So I'll just ignore it. And I won't read the Old Testament as much anymore because it bothers me to read that about certain things. So I'll just pretend, I'll, I'll stick with Jesus. Really, that's the way some of us, I'll just stick with Jesus because I can understand that a bit more than this. It, it is enjoyable and challenging, okay? It, you will live longer because you'll use your mind. You, you do all the studies how if you use your mind, you'll live a lot longer. So you'll live longer and you'll enjoy your life more if you dig in and try to find the answers to these questions. It's enjoyable. 
We don't, we as pastors and people who go to seminary and people who go to Bible colleges, they don't have a one up on you. We can all learn. We can all grow. We can all have an impact. We need to have more passion for God so, so that we can know God even more. And my friends, if you are only getting your answers, if you're only, you're only hearing things from Bible study and from my sermons, then you are not going to have the kind of intimate relationship that God desires for your life. You can learn a lot by sitting and listening to sermons. You can. You can learn a lot by going to Bible studies. But I'll tell you, your spiritual growth is ultimately your responsibility. I'm responsible for overseeing you, for feeding you spiritual food, and for protecting you from spiritual harm. That's my responsibility. Feed you spiritual food, protect you from spiritual harm. And it is partially my responsibility to help you grow spiritually. That's partly my, as a pastor, responsibility. But ultimately, it's your responsibility for your own spiritual growth. It is your responsibility. You and I need to take time to open up our own Bibles and read through it and study and understand it. It's, our, it's your responsibility and my responsibility. Your growth is ultimately your responsibility. So I am encouraging, I'm encouraging you over the next few weeks and months and then and beyond to begin, if you haven't before, you know, we're not going to go over in the past, to begin to really dig in and understand the word of God, understand it and have that intimate relationship. God wants you to know him better so that you can share his love and truth with others. He wants you to be intimate with him so that your relationship with him is close, it's tight but so that you can then reach out to those who don't know him and lead them into a closer relationship with him. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, Come, let us reason together. This verse is critical. It is critical because God gave us our rational capacity and he expects us to use it for his glory. Your faith is not separated from your rational capacity. Your faith is not separated from reason. God says, come, let us reason together. Reason, your rational capacity, uh, understanding truth, all and faith, all those things fit together very well. You know, people will say, you Christians have faith. I have a friend who said, you know, the reason I'm not really sure I want to become a Christian is because once you have faith, you stop asking questions. You stop seeking after knowledge. You, you, you all, your answer is, everything is in your answer is faith. And so you stop all these other things. And I said, are you nuts? Where do you get that from? My faith and reason and rational thought process and understanding and truth. They all fit together. God encourages me as a Christian to use my reason to think through why this and how that and, and what happened here and, and, and trying to fit all these things together. That's God's desire for my life so that I can use my, my rational capacity to glorify God and try to lead others into a closer, closer relationship with him. When you become a Christian, someone once, once said to me, I'd like to become a Christian, but I don't want to commit intellectual suicide. Quote, that's what they said. I said, intellectual suicide. Let's, let's have some fun. 
Let's go. And not, not argue, but let's have some fun. Let's talk about the beginning of the universe. Let's talk about nothing creating everything and, and the first cause of all things. Is God the first cause or is nothing the first cause? And going from there all the way through to the Bible and prophecies. Let's have some fun. Intellectual suicide. My goodness. This, I mean, when you become a Christian, the, that's when your knowledge really begins. That's when understanding really starts. That's when you get a different perspective of the world and you can see things from this worldview and that worldview. I mean, you're not committing intellectual suicide by becoming a Christian. Faith doesn't shut off the mind. And if it does, that's not God's idea. That's your idea. As a Christian, it's our, that is our misunderstanding of what faith is. Faith is being sure of what you know. Faith is having confidence. I mean, extreme, complete confidence that God is who he said he was. And I have confidence. I, faith for me is not I didn't close my eyes at 18 years old and take some leap off into the darkness hoping it all worked out. That's not what, that's not faith. I asked questions. I, 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 was, I was a truth seeker. I, I was seeking after truth. And truth led me to God. All truth leads to God. Don't be afraid of seeking truth. Because God says, come, let us reason together. All truth leads to me. Again, in 1 Peter 3.15, it reminds us, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And do this again with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask. This is important for several reasons. Because it glorifies God. You having knowledge of God and sharing the love of Christ with other people glorifies God. It brings glory to him because it strengthens your faith. When you study the word of God, when someone asks you a question, the greatest thing that ever could have happened to me when I was younger in my faith is that I went to that secular university. I went to that and and that teacher flicked those ashes and those offering plate and went after me. And man, I thought to myself, I will never, because I didn't think he was that bright to start with. I thought, I will never, I will never be in this position again to the best of my ability. And I studied and I looked and I tried to understand because I knew, I knew there were answers to a lot of his questions. I just didn't know them. But that didn't make me go, oh no, what am I going to do? There must not be answers. He must be right. I, I knew he wasn't right. So I studied. I found the answers. And what happened? I grew in my faith. It strengthened my faith. You know what happened next time someone asked me a question? I wasn't mean about it. I answered their question. And when they asked me a question I didn't know the answer to, I went back and found the answer. And the next time I got in a conversation with someone else, I then went back to that person and said, well, here's the answer. And the next time I was asked the same question, I had the answer. And then what happened was that I had the answers to a lot of questions and I'd be talking to people. And after I'm, answered, I'd done, I'm finished answering all their questions, I said, well, what is it that keep, is keeping you from a relationship with Christ? And the person scratched their head about 30 times in my life and said, well, nothing. And I said, well, okay, let's, now let's talk, about, let's talk about this. Let's talk about walking through this relationship with Christ. It, it, you want to talk about spiritual growth? incredible spiritual growth. Number one, when you can answer questions. Number two, when someone comes to Christ, you want to talk about getting fired up? Those two things will fire, fire you up. And I'll tell you, it, it, again, it answers the questions of people who have legitimate questions and draws them into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are, those are some good, legitimate reasons why we should give answers when people ask. But again, you have to know what you believe and why you believe it, or none of that will ever happen. 
It won't happen. Something else is going to happen to you when you start sharing the love of Christ with people. All you people out there think, oh, I don't have memorized scripture. You don't have to know chapter and verse either. Yeah, I don't, I have memorized scripture. I don't know it. You start to talk to people and something bizarre happens in your mind. You start to talk and, and so, things come out. You start regurgitating scripture that you didn't even know that you remembered. I have had conversations with people where I literally, in my mind, am thinking, this is really cool. And while my, mind is, while my mouth is talking, my mind is saying, this is really cool. I wonder where I got that from. And you listen to the Holy Spirit speak through you. You want to talk about some powerful, goosebumpy uh, things that happen? When you start talking and the Holy Spirit starts speaking through you and you start laying things out, things you never thought you could communicate, you're able to communicate that. And the more you learn, the more effective you become. You know, my question is, I mean, I don't mean to make you feel guilty. It's not, I don't want any guilt here. But do you study the Word of God? Do you study the Bible? Not just flick through it once in a while, but do you read it and study it? I think you should be... During this, during this process from here on out, when you study the Bible, have a little book next to you. And every time you come up with a question you can't answer, write that question down and don't go on. until You can keep reading, but write them all down. But don't keep going until you've answered your questions. Make sure someone answers those questions. If you can't find the answer, you come to me, you come to someone else in the church in one of your Bible studies, you guys work through it and, and, and hack through it and do whatever you need to do until you find the answer to your question because there are answers for your questions questions. Do we need to, if you haven't been, study the Bible? Have, uh, have you asked the questions that you're struggling with yourself? Honestly, have you asked the questions that you yourself are, uh, that, that are troubling you? Every, every one of us have those questions because if you haven't got past, past some of the, the questions in your own mind, then it's going to be difficult for you to answer, answer questions who, who, when people bring them to you. Have you answered the questions that are troubling you? And we all have questions. You know, and, you know I, I, we, I'm gonna, everybody says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, 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 and this. I'm going to ask a question maybe like, uh, you know, you ever think about this? Why, why is it, why can't like large amounts of cheesecake cure certain illnesses? You know what I'm saying? Like, why can't they get on TV and say what you need to do in order to let your blood vessels expand and your arteries and everything? Eat large amounts of chocolate cake. Double layer chocolate cake. See, that's what I want to know. Why is it like broccoli spears? You ever taste a broccoli spear? It's nasty, but it's good for you. I want to know why large amounts of New York style Carnegie Deli cheesecake doesn't help you overcome some of these illnesses. That would, to me, be a legitimate question. I've answered a lot of my other questions. I still have other questions. That's one of them. Maybe you don't have that question. Maybe you have other more important questions, which you should, but you need to ask them if they're troubling you and you need to get answers. You know another reason why you guys don't ask questions many times? It's kind of like when you go to church and you introduce yourself to someone. They say, hey, my name is whatever, John, or, and then you, you know, you, you, someone interrupts you or, or you walk away and you forget the person's name. And then maybe one other time you say, oh yeah, what was your name again? Then you forget again. And you, you're, you're just praying to God for like name tag Sunday because you don't want to talk to the person anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because you forgot their name twice. And so you feel embarrassed to go back after like a year. And you're like, you call them buddy for like 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Because for some reason they never mention their name again. You're standing there listening in conversations, but it always goes past. You never get it. And I think the same thing happens with asking questions. If you didn't ask all the questions of the universe in the first year of your Christian life, you forgot some, you feel awkward going back after 15 years or 10 years and asking a question that you should know the answer to. Here's what you do. 
Don't lie. I'm just saying, you know, work this out in your own mind. Use words like this. Go to your Bible study or someone and say, you know, someone once asked me, it could be you asking yourself, um, someone, you know, about this. And I, you know, I, I think I have a good answer. I think I responded pretty well. But what, what insight do you have on that question? You could ask it that way. You could just say, so, you know, people probably have asked you questions that you haven't really answered. And you say, well, you know, someone once asked me or someone recently asked me. And, and what you're trying to do is just, just seek as much knowledge as you possibly can. That's, you, you have to get past this, I should know the answer. Or seek out the answer yourself. If you can't find it, make sure that you seek someone else who can help you answer it. You know, are you ready? Think about this. Are you ready to, to, to answer unbelievers or skeptics when they ask you for the reason why you don't agree with things like abortion, your position on abortion? Are you ready to defend your position on abortion or moral relativism or different sexual sins when you say, I think this is wrong? If I stand up and say, I think this is wrong, people are going to challenge my belief system, my position. Are you ready to defend your position when it, become, when it comes to moral relativism? Everything is relative. There's no absolute truth. Are you ready when people come to you? Because they're going to come. They're going to ask for you to defend those positions. We need to be ready to give an answer to seekers, general seekers who want to know things, skeptics who are aggressively opposed to what you're saying, and in the midst of being persecuted. That's what Peter's saying. In the midst of all the persecution, in the midst of all the accusations, are you ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? We need to be able to do that. The word answer in this text is translated from the Greek word uh, apologia, Apologia, which means to, to give a defense, to verbalize a defense, a verbal defense or a speech in defense. It's from where we get the word apologetics. Apologetics, which is a defense, a rational defense of the Christian faith. Apologetics is giving a rational defense of the Christian faith. I love apologetics. Some of you, some of you, if you're not already, will be gifted in this area. Absolutely, Ravi Zacharias type gifted in this area. Norm Geisler type gifted in this area. You will enjoy it so much. It will come so natural to you that the people in the church will be drawn to you because you're the answer man or answer woman. Some of you have been gifted and called in this area. And as we go through this series, it's going to light a fire in you that you never knew existed. And you're just going to be, you're going to be the person. You're going to be the person who just, you're the answer person. And your life is going to be changed. Because you love not just to argue, but you love to understand truth. You've got the mind. You've got that photographic memory. You can lay things out. You're a rational thinker. You're a reasonable thinker. You just, you can see different worldviews. That's just you. You're going to be able to do that beyond what anybody else in the church can do. And I can't wait to see some of you step up during the series and that, that come alive in your lives, come alive in your hearts. You see, you see faith and reason cooperate with each other. They do not oppose each other in a Christian worldview. Faith and reason cooperate. They're not opposed to each other. And when we realize that and understand that, we won't be so intimidated when people come and talk to us. In this context also, Peter's not just saying, he's not just saying that we should be able to answer every question that anyone ever asks us about our religion. It goes beyond that. Peter is saying that we need to always be ready to give a reason for the hope, for the hope that we have. We need to, to say, we, we need to be able to, to explain the basis of our hope. When people say, you know, they, people will be attracted by the hope that you have. 
They'll be attracted by the way you live your life. When you go through a difficult experience and you're not crumbling and falling apart and cursing God like everyone else, there's a hope that's there that goes beyond your understanding. People are going to be attracted to that. They're going to ask questions of you. They're going to be drawn to you. And Peter's saying, you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus because that hope that they're going to be drawn to is going to bring out even more questions and even more questions. Always be ready to give an answer, apologetic, apologia, to give a, a, a defense, to give a verbal defense defense or just a verbal response to those who are asking you legitimate questions, regardless if, if it's in a time of persecution or if it's a skeptic or if it's a seeker or if it's your child. On Wednesday night, when you're watching television, they say, you know, I always wondered we need to be ready to respond. And our confidence in our future should be so strong. Our confidence in the hope of our future should be so strong that honestly, guys, it literally draws people to us. It draws people to a Christ. It draws people into a relationship with God. It is, it is observable by others. They, they can actually observe the hope and the joy that we have. Our joy should reflect our hope. We should, we should have such a joy in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that, that, uh, that, we can, that we are drawing other people into a relationship with him. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulties, we should be able to express our joy in the hope that we have. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, it tells us, if this, In this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We need to express our faith and the joy that we have in a spirit of meekness, that joy. Peter says we have to do it with a respect and gentleness. When people ask us questions, you know what happens in our our Christian culture right now, we're so ticked off by all the agendas that we see going on around us. People trying to undergird, they're trying to, they're trying to, they're trying to undermine the, the, the foundation that we have in Christ and our country. And they're trying to undermine this and there's agendas here and agendas there. And so you'll watch these shows and we get worked up and we can't believe it. And then somebody who doesn't know Christ comes up and asks a question and we take all of our frustration out on them. We need to separate our frustration about what's going on in our world from the individual asking the question. Because Peter's saying when someone comes to you and challenges your, your views and challenges what you have, you need to be able to respond to them with gentleness and respect, with meekness, with love, with a, with, 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 with a, with a humility. And, and then what he's talking about really obviously pertains to our response to men, our people in general. This is the way we should respond to people. We should be humble, not arrogant or angry in our response. If you're arrogant, angry, and belittling to someone in in the midst of a discussion about worldview, it clearly expresses your inability to defend your position, regardless of what side it's on. When you're having a conversation about worldview, about moral relativism, about what you believe about this, that, and the other thing, if you are arrogant and you are angry and you are belittling to the other person, all that shows is that you clearly cannot defend your position. Because if you have to belittle someone, attack someone, get angry and raise your voice so the person can't talk over you and intimidate them so how they won't even ask the next question because you're so upset, your face is turning red and you're going after them, what that shows is that you cannot defend your position. 
You have to to resort to other behaviors in order to shut the other person up, to make them feel uncomfortable, to back them down so they don't argue with you anymore. I see that all the time. You ever see people getting screaming matches instead of actually having an honest and open debate? Instead of sitting down and talking and relating to each other, one person will be sitting down there talking, the other person will get all worked up, and the the person who they're debating doesn't want to discuss it anymore because they feel uncomfortable. We need to do it, Peter says, with gentleness and respect. Even in this midst of persecution, we need to share God's love with that respect. Suffering for our faith is a part of what we are called to do. But I'll tell you something. God knows that it's coming, so then he gives us a promise along with it. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. You are blessed if you suffer for the sake of righteousness. You are blessed if you suffer for the sake of righteousness. Now, most of us would not equate the word blessing with the word suffering, right? It's like those two words, wait, if I'm suffering, I'm not being blessed. No, 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 that's not what it says. That that these two words go together. You're going to go through difficulty. You're going to go through suffering. and, and, And God says, I'm going to bless you in this. I'm going to bless you. The word translated here, blessed, blessed, is used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, to be blessed in this context is not to feel delighted. It's not like, oh, I feel so good. You know what I mean? It, you know, because we think of blessed, we feel like all oh, these good feelings of just, just total delight. I, it's a feeling of delight. That is not what it means in this context. It means to be highly privileged. Blessed means to be highly privileged. It is a privilege. God has chosen you to use you. God believes in you. God has faith in you. God wants to use you as a person he's going to, use to, to, to invest in the life of this other person. He trusts you with his word. He wants you to speak out. He is going to bless you and encourage you. God is going, you are highly privileged. You are highly privileged. And when you go through the difficulty, when you get the persecution, God is going to be there with you. He's going to show you his grace. He's going to show you his mercy. He's going to give you his strength. He's going to allow you to overcome. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. You know why? Because you are highly privileged. God has allowed you, allowed you the privilege of suffering for him as you stand up for his word and are persecuted or, or go through some kind of tribulation because of what, what, you're, what you're standing for. God says, I'm going to bless you. You are highly privileged. Now, you have to kind of look at this from not an earthly perspective because an earthly perspective says blessed means I'm going to get some kind of financial stuff. I'm gonna, everything's going to go well for me. Everything's going to... No, look at it from an eternal perspective that God so cherished you. God so desires to use you that you are going to be put in a situation where you're going to share his love, you're going to share your hope, and you're going to be persecuted for it. And God is going to strengthen you and help you grow in such a way that you've never grown before because you are highly privileged. He chose to use you. Christians, my friends, should not be afraid of what people can do to them. What can people do to us? In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, it says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. 
Peter's exhortation is to fear God rather than man. He says the same thing. Peter's saying, don't fear them. Do not fear them. Don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Have an eternal perspective. Regardless, they can't do anything to you. What are they going to do? Take your life? Absent from the body is present with the Lord. There should be no fear in sharing our love with others, the love of Christ with others, because what can men do to us? We live in a world that has so many skeptics and so much spiritual activity, demonic activity, that we are going to sooner or later be put in a situation. We're going to be persecuted. It's just going to happen, especially if you're living your life for Christ. You're living out your Christianity. Now, if you are never persecuted in your Christian life, then probably you're not making any noise because if you make noise, you're going to attract attention. The attention from the world is not going to be positive and you're going to be persecuted in some way. You're going to suffer in some way for Christ. Now, if you're not suffering right now, I'm not saying that you're not a good Christian. What I'm saying is that the word of God will offend. The gospel will offend at some point and you are going to be the recipient of that person's offense you are going to take the consequences because if you're, well, as a Christian, you're just sharing what Jesus said. But they're not going to pick up a, a book and say the Bible and say, I'm really upset about what you just said. What they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to take it out on you, the person. They're going to take it out on the messenger. So if you are standing up for Christ, you are going to receive that kind of consequence. So how do we then, then how do we work through, overcome this per, when we're under persecution? How do we stand up under it? Verse 15 says, but in your heart, set, a Christ, set apart Christ as Lord. The greatest command is to put Christ first in your life. That's the greatest. That you would put God, that you would put Jesus Christ first in your life. It is more important and this is something that Ravi Zacharias said this summer. I had the privilege of being and listening to him and interacting with him. And he made the point over and over again that it is more important how you live for Christ. It's more important how you live your life for Christ than, than being able to give great answers to difficult questions. That's more important. It is more important that you're living, that your heart is sold out to Christ, that you're living for Christ. It is more important than having great answers to tough questions. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verses, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do your words say about your heart and about your life? For all of us, I need to ask that question of myself. What do my words say about my heart and say about my life? For the most part, the only things that people are going to observe about God many times is when they see you, that they, you become a reflection of God for them. You become the representation of God for that person because you're the person that talks about God. You're the person that says they're a Christian. So they observe you to see and get knowledge about God. How do you represent him? How do I represent him in the world? Because they're looking to us to try to understand God. In verses 16 and 17, it says, keep a good conscience. Listen, keep a good conscience so that in the, in the thing in which you are, uh, you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better if, you should, if God should will it so that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. My friends, our lives need to speak louder than our words. Our lives need to speak louder than our words so our words and our deeds will be heard. People don't want to hear what you have to say if your life is not backing it up. 
They want to see, they want to see it lived out. Do your lives, do our lives back up our words. Is there a sin in your life right now that is keeping you from fellowship with God? keeping you from from the intimate fellowship with God? Is there some kind of sin in your life right now? Is there a reason that you feel uncomfortable or awkward or not worthy, in a sense, to share God's love with other people because, you know, you're living your life this way and there's this this thing that's going on in your life so you don't feel worthy to share it with, with, with other people. Now, here's the deal. Very simple. If that is something that's going on in your life, what you need to do is repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. God then will forgive you. And then know what you need to do? You need to move on. And you need to start sharing the love of Christ with other people. And then when your friend says, who are you to tell me? You were as drunk as everybody else a week ago at the party. You were, you were sleeping with just as many girls a month ago as I was. You, you, use, you have the same mouth when we go to a game or we do this as, as everybody else. Who are you to tell me anything about God or that I'm wrong and more relativism and I shouldn't, I shouldn't? Who are you? And what you need to do is humble yourself and say, you know, you're exactly right. And I, I have, I've gone before God and I've asked God to forgive me. And I'm asking you to forgive me as well. And I'm going to try to live the way, the, the way God would want me to live. I'm going to try to live out my faith. But you know what? My behavior doesn't make the Bible wrong. What I'm speaking is truth. So I'm going to try to speak truth to you and at the same time live truth out in my life. Be humble and agree that you haven't been living the way you should be living. Confess it to God, be forgiven, and then move on with your life. Do you have a clean conscience before the Lord? That's what Peter's saying. You should have a clear conscience before the Lord. It's so, it's so important to be right before God. And here's why. Because if you are living a right life before God and someone comes along and slanders you for what you believe, they slander you. It's not true. It is a lot easier to say to people, you know what? I'm not going to try to defend myself with this person because truth and time walk hand in hand. And ultimately, the truth will point out that I am not and I have not done what they had said I had did, I, I have done. Truth and time walk hand in hand. You don't have to defend yourself, or at least it's easy to defend yourself, my friends, when you have a clear conscience, when, you have, when you've lived a righteous life and tried to live to the best of your ability according to what God would, how God would have you to live. When someone slanders you, it's easy to give a defense of yourself. Because what you need to do is not scream and yell, Truth and time walk hand in hand. Those things are not true. My life will live that out and I will continue to preach the gospel of Christ without having that weigh me down. There are times that you're going to suffer for what is right. There are times that you're going to suffer for the gospel. There are times that you're going to go through and you're going to be unjustly accused. But when those times come, when those times happen, you should be so centered on Jesus. You should be so close to him. You should be so sure of him that when you go through that persecution, you have no fear. You have no fear. You know that you belong to Christ. You are close to him. You have an intimate relationship with him. There will be times when you're going to be in a situation where you have to give an answer, where God is calling you to give an answer to a person who asks about the hope that you have in your life. And the way you overcome the fear of sharing that hope is that your heart is completely given over to Jesus Christ. Christ is first in your heart. He comes first in your life. You know, we need to have good reasons for our faith. We do. We need to have good reasons for our faith for the hope that we have in us. 
That's one thing. We need to be able to answer the questions. But we need our lives to reflect that truth as well. That's what my desire is through this upcoming series, that we'll be able to answer the questions that are asked of us, but our lives reflect the truth of who God is. So that when we speak, when we speak, people will listen. Our words will have meaning and value. Our words will not fall on deaf ears because they'll look at our lives and they'll look at our words and they'll say, they're together. This is true. This person is at least speaking from the truth of their own life. That should be your desire. That should be my desire. So as we pray, let's bow our heads. As we pray, let's ask God to get our lives in a place where we feel confident. We feel confident about the way we're living. Lord God, we want to feel confidence in how we're living. So we want to ask you to forgive us for our sin right now. Everybody across, across if you're not living the, the life that you should be living for Christ, ask him to forgive you right now in your heart. Ask him to forgive you that you would live the kind of life that God would desire for you, that would stand out, that people would be attracted to, that they could literally see and feel and experience as you speak the words of God.